Here we go. Eschatology, the study of the last things from Greek eschatos, meaning last. And we're, we talked about that last week. There will be a sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of Christ. Talking to a non-Christian friend here in Arizona once, said, do you really think Jesus is coming back to earth? I said, oh, yes, I do. Yep, that's what the Bible teaches. He's coming back to earth. He's going to come back and reign over the earth as king over the whole world. And uh, if I, and I go and prepare a place, Daryl, what do you have here? Oh, does anybody need an outline? I need an outline, actually. <laughs> Good, thanks. If you need an outline, hold your hand up and, uh, and uh, keep it in the air until you get one. Thanks. All right, there'll be a personal uh, bodily return of Christ. If I go and prepare, uh, prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Uh, Jesus promises he'll come again and acts one in the same way as the disciples saw him go into heaven. And um, so point B, and this is about where we ended last week, we should eagerly long for Christ's return. Uh, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, said uh, John at the end of the book of Revelation. The Bible closes with that, I think, indicating to us there should be that that hope, that expectation in our hearts. For uh, Titus uh, 2, 11 to 13, um, <clears throat> says that uh, we are to live uh, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the, the blessed thing that we hope for. So two important questions. Do, do Christians eagerly long for Christ's return? There are other there are other um, uh, passages like that. Our Lord come, or Maranatha in the end of 1 Corinthians 16, for instance. Do we do that? Do we eagerly long for Christ's return? I think the more Christians are caught up in this life and neglect genuine Christian fellowship and a relationship with Christ, they love this world a lot, and they don't really long very much for Christ's return. Um, but in fact, throughout history and throughout the world today, many of those who are experiencing suffering and those whose daily walk with Christ is vital and deep will have an intense longing for his return. And so I think that the degree to which we long for Christ's return is one measure of our spiritual condition at the moment. Now, um, there's some longing for Christ's return in my heart, but honestly, it isn't like huge and dominant. I'm just telling you honestly. And why is that? Well, I think there's a lot of just being involved in very good things. Uh, uh, God has given me a wonderful wife, wonderful children, a wonderful church, and enrichment class here at Scottsdale Bible Church, and friends. And those aren't bad things. They're things from the Lord. It isn't, it isn't like I'm living in outright sin and enjoying all of that. That's doing, and that's the way most of you are, I think. And you're thankful for the blessings of this life. So, hum, how do we deal with that? Well, I think just to, to hear the testimony of Scripture and have our hearts be told and taught that the pattern of Scripture is that we should long for and pray for Christ to come back. But wait, 
You know, what about these things that didn't get done yet? Well, <laughs> you know what? I think when the Lord comes back, that'll take care of a whole lot of those things, won't it? I think it will. And I'll tell you, the more stressful things become in the world, the more economic difficulty there is in all the banking capitals of the world, the more we should perhaps be saying, Lord, will you come back and straighten all this out? And the more there is strife and turmoil and evil, just plain outright evil and persecution of Christians and, and injustice and, and murder and, and all sorts of things, tyranny in the world, when we see those things, I think it should make us say, Lord, please come back and rule and bring righteous, pure, wonderful, good government to this earth. So I, I guess I'm trying to say when you turn on the television news or you open the newspaper and everything seems to be going bad, it should be encouragement to us to say, Lord Jesus, come back. Lord Jesus, come back and make things right. There's one other thing. You might be thinking, well, Lord, I don't really know if I want you to come back yet because my son or my daughter, my brother, my sister, or some other loved one has not yet trusted in you. Well, I think when Christ comes back, millions of people are going to trust in him for salvation. I, I think when people die, there's no further chance after death. But I don't think that when Christ comes back, that ends the opportunity for people to trust in him. I think millions upon millions will trust in him at that day. And so um, that should be an encouragement to us. I think when he comes and that millennial reign of Christ, I think it's going to be Jesus reigning from Jerusalem as king over the entire earth and all nations and tribes and peoples will serve him and be obedient to him. And we will reign with him and he'll give us positions of responsibility. And so to all believers throughout the world, those will be wonderful days. And so when we realize how good it will be, I think it'll increase our hope of his return. Do you want to talk to me about that for a minute? Do you want to reflect on that? Anybody? Uh, John, right here in the front row. Won't there be seven years of tribulation, though, in there? That, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, wait. <laughs> um, I, um, I'm not sure is the answer I'm going to give. I think there is. Well, let's just wait. Uh, the Bible is true. It predicts tribulation. That tribulation is going to happen. But many people in the world think it already is happening to them. So, I think greater tribulation is coming. I'm not sure, but oh my goodness, I don't want that. don't want more to come. I want the Lord to come back, make things right. Number two, the question is, could, if Christ could return at any moment, should we undertake long-term projects? <laughs> because what if we get, you know, you start building a house, it's going to take two years, what if Christ comes back in one year and 11 months and you don't ever get to move into the house? I tell you, I, I don't know why, but this thought hit me strongly 
on the day that I finished my Ph.D. dissertation and I was walking down what's called Mill Lane in Cambridge, England, walking to the Board of Graduate Studies where I was going to hand in these two bound copies of my dissertation. And just a few feet before I got to that door, I thought, Lord, what if you return today? I worked three years on this thing. And then nobody would ever read it. And I wouldn't get my Ph.D. because, you know, this is, I don't know why I thought that, but I did. And then I thought, no, I believe I was obedient to you, Lord. I did what you called me to do. And if you come back today, I'll be happy. If nobody ever reads what I wrote, well, I, I was obedient to you in the process. It's inevitable when Jesus comes back that some people are going to be in the middle of preparation for something they haven't yet done. There are going to be seminary students who haven't graduated. They've just been studying and they've been ministered a little bit in a home fellowship group or done a youth pastor or something. So they did, but they didn't kind of get to the full blossoming of their full-time ministry that they were preparing for. There are going to be people in college who haven't graduated yet, right? Or students in high school. I mean, everybody at every stage of life. And our, our goal has to be simply to be faithful to God in whatever he calls us to do and leave the rest in his hands. You okay with that? So I think, yes, we should commit ourselves to long-term activities. And the verse that you could put up there is Matthew 28, 19 to 20, where Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations. He was telling his disciples, that's a long-term project. Make disciples of all nations. But um, they were to start out and see what happened until the Lord returned. Jesus does not allow us to know the actual time of his return. He wants us to be engaged in obedience until the moment of his return. And so to be ready, Matthew 24, 44, is to be faithfully obeying him, engaged in the work that he called us to do. All right? There is a temptation, <clears throat> and there will be a greater temptation if things go from bad to worse in the world and we hear more of these earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of wars and tumult in nations and suffering and maybe great tribulation, there is a temptation to think, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in any preparation for a long-term project. It just seems like the Lord's going to return this year. But don't give in to that temptation because we don't know. Pastor that I of the church I went to when I was in college, Harold Ockengay, the pastor of Park Street Church in Boston, gave this example. He said, if, if you don't have a tide chart and you're at the beach, you don't know when high tide is. Because, you know, the waves come up and you move your towel back a little bit and you kind of lie down, you're enjoying the sun, and then, pow, your feet get wet again because you didn't quite get that it was high tide. So then you think, oh, that's high tide. All right, I'll just kind of move back a few inches. And you wait, and you wait, and pow, another one comes. So, just like that, the signs of Christ's return intensify and recede, intensify and recede, intensify and recede, and we don't know when the final set of signs is. So, that's the way history is. It's to stir up our hearts to hope for, long for Christ's return, but not to put off long-term projects. All right? C. We do not know when Christ will return. Why did I have to come here this morning to learn that, you're saying? I already knew that. Well, you might, but there are people that are out there to fool you on this. 
of the Jehovah's Witnesses have set the date of Christ's return, I don't know how many times. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight times. In 1914, they said for sure Jesus was returning. He didn't. Then they made up a kind of a funny explanation for it. But you know what circulated around our church a few years ago? A little booklet sold 100,000, 200,000 copies, I don't know, by a rocket scientist from NASA. I think he was retired. 88 reasons why the Lord will return in 1988. Now, this was circulating in 1987. And then, it got, because he had predicted September 88, let me tell you, the sales really grew in 1988, all through the summer. And I, I, you know, I have a friend call me and say, wait, have you seen this book? He's got all these predictions from the Old Testament, all these festivals and Pentecost and all these feasts. And he's calculated the dates and he's calculated the years. And he's smart. He's a scientist. And he says, Jesus is going to come back on September such and such of 1988. He's got the day down. Have you seen this book? And I said, no. Well, would you read it and see what you think of it? No. Well, how can you? Well, why not? Well, I don't think he's right. Well, why not? Because the Bible says that we won't know the day or the hour. So I know it's wrong before I read it. So, so Matthew 24, 44, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day or the hour. And anyone who claims to know specifically when Jesus is coming back is to be considered wrong. And people might give in to the temptation to believe this. Sell their homes, quit their jobs, give up work in the church and elsewhere, but they're disobeying the teaching of Scripture. And just move out into wilderness in Montana or Idaho or something. Those are nice places, but they want to get away from all this. You know, they should be involved in the world. Okay, what's your name and what's the question? Christian. Christian what? In what? 2012. Somebody said the world's going to end in 2012? Who said that? Oh, so Nostradamus? Oh, it's just something going around the internet, in other words. Yeah. It, the world could end in 29, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. Nobody knows. And we can't know. But it isn't going to be the world ending anyway. It's going to be Jesus coming back. So that's a good thing to hope for. Yeah. What about here? Okay, tell me your name again. Christian. Christian, go ahead, put it in the microphone here. Hold it up close. What about all the natural disasters? Like earthquakes and hurricanes yeah. and things? Yeah, they come and go. There's no significant change in increase or, or frequency over the course of decades so far. Okay, good. <clears throat> all right. Now, point D, before we get to controversy, all evangelicals agree on the final results of Christ's return. What's going to happen? There'll be judgment for unbelievers and final reward for believers eventually. And we'll have life with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth for all eternity. That's great news. And then see, God will reign and be worshipped in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin or sorrow or suffering. All that is wonderful. Those are the major things that we agree on and we can be thankful for. Okay. But... Now we get to controversy. There is disagreement over details of future events. There's disagreement over the nature of what's called the millennium. That's a Latin word meaning a thousand years. The relationship of Christ's return to the millennium. Is he going to come back before the millennium? Which I think. Or during the millennium? Or after the millennium? Or some people even think we're in the millennium right now. 
that's called amillennialism, and we'll get to that next time. And then the sequence of Christ's return in the Great Tribulation. John, <clears throat> you see Butel. John Butel just asked me a few minutes ago, well, what about the Tribulation? Well, some people think Jesus will come back before the Tribulation. Some people think he'll come back after the Tribulation. So we have to talk about that. And then there's the question of the salvation of the Jewish people. What does it mean that all Israel will be saved? What is the teaching of Romans 9 to 11? So <clears throat> these are differences, and I want to talk about them in some detail, but put them in the context of we agree on the major things. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back personally. He's going to reign over the earth. There's going to be a reward for believers and punishment for unbelievers, and there's going to be a kingdom without end. And those are the big deals. Now, these things we differ about. You know what all these things have in common? <clears throat> They're all future. They're all future. It isn't like the nature of Christ's death and crucifixion and resurrection. That's past. That's done. People in the Old Testament looking forward to that probably had questions about it. But now it's all done. But now here we're looking forward to these things and their future and their predictions in the Bible. But the predictions have some uncertainty in their interpretation. So... Now, here's the first question that Bible-believing Christians disagree about. <clears throat> and I'll spend some time on that. And that is, could Christ come back at any time? <clears throat> Probably most of you say, yes, of course. And the reason you say that is there are a lot of verses predicting that Christ could come back at any time. And his coming will be sudden and unexpected. But I'll give you a warning. The reason that not everybody is persuaded about this is that there are other verses saying that signs are going to happen before Christ's return, like the gospel preached to all nations, the great tribulation, the conversion of the Jewish people, wars, rumors of wars, um, sun, moon falling from the sky, signs in the heavens. What about all those signs? If those have to occur first, I haven't seen those, people say. So, how could Jesus come back this afternoon? Then we have four possible solutions. Okay, but first of all, could Christ come back at any time? I'm going to say absolutely yes. I believe Jesus could come back this afternoon. <clears throat> Why? Matthew 24, 42 to 44. Watch, therefore, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's pretty clear. Matthew twenty four fifty, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. Matthew twenty five thirteen. Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour. We talked about that already. Now, I know, I know people have said, oh, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know the season or the week. And that's, just, that's just special, that's just what's called special pleading in, in, in understanding arguments. It's just, it's, it's not paying attention to the meaning of what Jesus said. When he says you don't know the day nor the hour, it's a way of saying you don't know the time at all. All right? You just don't know when it's going to happen. Mark 13 has this. Of that day or hour, no one knows. Take heed, watch. Mark 13, 34 to 37. Watch, therefore, you don't know when the master of the house will come. Watch. Luke 12, 40. You must be ready. The Son of Man is coming in an unexpected hour. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Our Lord, come. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, 
The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Titus 2:12 to 13, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10:25, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. James 5, 7 to 9, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Behold, the judge is standing at the doors. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. 2 Peter 3, 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Revelation 1, 3, the time is near. Revelation 22, 7, behold, I'm coming soon. Revelation 22, 12, behold, I'm coming soon. Bringing my recompense to repay everyone for what he has done. Revelation 22, 20, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Whoa. Doesn't that hit you like an avalanche? You might argue with one or two of those verses, but this is just verse upon verse upon verse from Matthew to Revelation. Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. He's coming at a time you don't expect. I just can't get around the force of those. And they're to encourage us to be watchful. That is, be ready, be expectant, have our lives in order before him. So we don't have anything that we'll be ashamed of or embarrassed about when he comes back at a moment we don't expect. My conclusion, Christ's return is imminent. That's the word kind of used in theological discussions. Christ could come back and might come back at any time, and we are be, to be prepared for him to come at any day. So if there were no passages in the New Testament about signs to precede Christ's return, we would conclude that Jesus could come at any moment. And I'll tell you, a couple of times in my life, I've thought, oh, I, I wonder if he's coming. One is when Margaret and I were living in Illinois and we had a bedroom on the second floor and in the middle of the night, it must have been like a thundercloud right over our house. It just shook everything. It was the loudest thing I'd ever heard, I think. And we both sat up and my instant thought is, Lord, are you coming back? But he didn't. But I mean, that was my, I, you know, because that, that was what my, because I, I didn't know what was happening. And then a long time ago, sophomore year in college, I had a term paper due the next day. I was typing about 2 or 2.30 in the morning, and in the background, I had this Christian radio station on playing music, and about like 2.17 or some odd number in the middle of a song, the radio went blank. The Christian station went off the air. And I just kept typing away, 2.18. And I thought, I wonder. And then 219. Whoa, I wonder. And so I went in. I, I literally sneaked in the other room. Look, my roommate was still in bed sleeping. I knew he was a believer. And I thought, all right. <laughs> I'm okay. I didn't get missed. <laughs> now, I mean, now, I, I, I wouldn't. I, that was maybe foolish of me. But I did it. I mean, but that, that just... That is, there was, it from growing up in the church I've been brought up in at home, there was teaching that Christ could come back at any time. And I believed it, and I still believe it. And so, um, I think today, now, I think it'll be more public than we expect, but, uh, than, than I had expected then, but, but still. Okay. So, that's my conclusion. But now, here comes a challenge from people on the more liberal end of the academic world, people who don't, who, who look for, sometimes, mistakes in the Bible and errors in the Bible, and they say, look, the disciples expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime, and they were wrong. 
So that's just something wrong with the Bible because Jesus didn't come back. They made a mistake. And so the question is, were Jesus and the New Testament authors wrong in their expectations that he would return in just a few years? My answer to that is no, they were not wrong. None of the texts above require this interpretation. They don't ever say, I, Paul doesn't say, you know, brothers, that the Lord is going to come back before I die. Or the Lord is going to come back before you, all of you die, or anything like that. Doesn't, there's always this soon, or there's be ready. But the New Testament authors, like the Old Testament prophets, speak with prophetic foreshortening. And so the idea is, if you've been out hiking in mountains, and, and you can see two mountains, they look really close together. And you say, you know what? I'm going to go climb those two mountains. So you get to the top of the first, because you think the second one is really close. You get to the top of the first one, and then you see there's another 30 miles of valleys and crags and everything in between. You thought when you got to the first one, the second one you saw behind it, you'd be right there. But you didn't understand that there's a lot in between until you got to the first one. And the Old Testament prophets have that. They speak a lot of times of what Jesus would do when he came and died for our sins. And they speak other times of what he'll do when he comes back in judgment. And they didn't know that there'd be 2,000 years separating those. And so when the New Testament authors, likewise, talk about Jesus coming back soon, they're... They're not, they don't know how far beyond the next mountain is the, is the final mountain. They just know that in terms of God's great work for the whole history of the world, everything that has to happen in God's major events in the history of redemption has already happened. That is, Christ has come, he's lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit, and the gospel is proclaimed throughout the world. Now, everything is ready. So, it could be any day. And that's what they mean by soon. That is, soon in terms of all the history of God's events, of calling Jewish people to himself, taking them out of Egypt, establishing the land, expecting the Messiah, Messiah coming... All those things have happened. And so soon could be any moment. Everything is ready for the last act of this period of history. So Peter worried. Peter knew people were worrying about this. Second Peter 3, 8 to 9. Do not overlook this fact, one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. He's answering the question. People say, where's the promise of his coming? Everything continues as it has from the beginning of the world. And Peter says, don't overlook this. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, I'm going to say something that kind of is on the other side, the balancing side of what I said about many people will turn to Christ when he comes back. There will be many people who won't. And they are so locked in the evil of their hearts and the unbelief of their hearts that they, even when Jesus comes back to reign on the earth, they will hate it. They will rebel against him. They will want nothing to do with him. And they will have to, they will have to be obedient outwardly to the civil government of righteousness that's established on the earth. But they won't want it to happen. And many of them will rebel against him and face judgment. And so, when you see evil in the world, and when I see evil in the world, I think, Lord... Why, why don't you come and judge? Why don't you come and put an end to this evil? 
to the massive amount of evil. And then I have to think, but he's yet giving time for more to repent and come to know him during this life, which many will do during this life through the spirit of the gospel. And so in his good purposes, he knows the right time. Okay, so that's Jesus could come back at any time. But now what about this other thing? Signs that Jesus, signs that precede Christ's return. First, the preaching of the gospel to all nations. Mark 13, 10, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel must be, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then the end will come. And the second side, has this happened yet? The great tribulation. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Uh, Mark 13, in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Whoa, has that happened yet? Tribulation has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. I don't think that has happened yet. And they're false prophets. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible the elect. Mm, some people maybe have fallen in that category, but maybe not. Signs in the heavens. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that hasn't happened. Luke 21, 25. Again, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations. Um, powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And then what about the Antichrist, or what the Bible sometimes calls the man of sin? Has he yet appeared on the scene? Some people have thought it was the Emperor Nero in the first century when Paul was writing his epistles. Some people have thought it was Adolf Hitler. Some people thought it was the Ayatollah Khomeini 20, 25 years ago. Some people thought it was Stalin or Lenin, these evil dictators. But those have passed off the scene, and they weren't the Antichrist. Well, who is this then? <clears throat> Revelation 13, 1-6, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in the heaven. 1 John 2, 18, children, it is the last hour. You have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know it is the last hour. So there are many, but I think he's hinting that there, there's a greater one yet coming. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-10, that day will not come, the coming of our Lord Jesus, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, <clears throat> so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And you know that what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. Uh, he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So there's a powerful word of Christ coming to destroy him. But he comes with the activity of Satan, with power, false signs and wonders, all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they've refused to love the truth and so be saved. And then what about this? <clears throat> the salvation of Israel. I think the Bible points to a future salvation of great numbers of Jewish people. 
And I honestly believe that the gathering of the Jewish people into a nation in Israel in 1948 was one step in God's preparation for that massive revival of Jewish people, ethnically Jewish people, coming to trust in Jesus as their Messiah. Some have trusted in him, but not a large number, uh, comparatively speaking, to this time. But Romans 11, if their trespass means riches for the world, how much, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, that is, they didn't accept Christ, so the gospel went to the Gentiles many times, and many of us come from a Gentile background, not a Jewish background. How much more will their full inclusion mean? <clears throat> and that is, Paul predicts a time when they'll be gathered in in great numbers. And then Romans 11, verse 24 says, using an analogy of an olive tree, they were broken off like branches, but they'll be grafted back into their own olive tree. And then uh, uh, Paul says, a partial hardening has come on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then when that has happened, then in this way, all Israel will be saved. I think all means great numbers. My conclusion from, or what is the conclusion from these signs? Many Christians have looked at these and based on these passages and have felt that Christ simply cannot return at any moment. At least on first reading, it seems like most of these events have not yet occurred. And the, the book I used to teach theology out of, uh, Louis Burkhoff, Systematic Theology, uh, an excellent book in many ways, but he said, I don't think Jesus could come back at least for 30 or 40 years, at least for a generation. That was his view from these signs. And there are quite a few people who hold that, believe the Bible. So what are the solutions? Would Christ come back at any time? How about these signs? Well, there are possible solutions. Some think Christ could not come back at any time. Louis Burkhoff. My problem with it is all those verses to be ready and watch, and he's coming at a time you don't expect. It seems to me that that position nullifies the force of Jesus' warnings to watch and be ready. He's returning at an hour we don't expect. <clears throat> Overwhelming number of verses. Are we just going to think those don't talk to us? And, and then I think that Burkhoff is using these signs in a way opposite to the way that Jesus intended. Jesus, when he talks about these signs, it's when you see them, get ready, watch. It's not when you don't see them, don't get ready. The signs are meant to intensify our expectations of Christ's return. They're not to make us think Jesus couldn't come back for a few years. You don't have anything in the Bible that says, don't expect him to return yet because here are the signs that have to come first. So you don't get the... That's not the emphasis of the Bible. The Bible says, be ready, be ready. <clears throat> There's another way to take these, and that is to say that Christ could come at any time. And there are a couple ways to understand that. One is, some people starting in the eight, no, 1846, 1848, uh, a lawyer in Ireland named John Nelson Darby started a system of Bible interpretation called dispensationalism, and he said, you know what, I've got the solution. There are going to be two comings, two returns of Christ. There's going to be a secret return where it won't be loud or noisy or public, but he'll snatch believers out of the world secretly, a secret coming to take Christians out of the world. And when Christians are up in heaven, then there'll be seven years of tribulation, but Christians are going to miss it and stay on earth. Uh, Christians are going to miss it, even though it happens on earth. And there's seven years, a great tribulation, and then after the seven years, Christ comes back with believers who have gone to heaven. He comes back in a visible, triumphant, public way. It's loud. There's a trumpet and everything. 
and uh, and during the seven years, that's when the Jewish people are converted, and there's these tribulations and earthquakes and famines and signs in the heavens and all that. So that is probably the dominant view at Scottsdale Bible Church. And it's the prominent view, in fact, it's the view held by Dallas Seminary, Talbot Seminary, and the Schofield Reference Bible, and all of dispensationalism. And how can I even speak against it? Because Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye, in the Left Behind series, (laughs) gave that uh, view great uh, prominence in a fictional way, but a way that, you know, even if you don't agree with that interpretation, it uh, does have some benefit in stirring up our hearts and our expectation of the Lord's return. And if you hold that view, you're in good company, and there are many faculty members at Phoenix Seminary, in fact, who are my colleagues, who will agree with you. So you're safe, you're good. Uh, I don't know what Jamie's uh, view is. Uh, Pastor Darrell holds this view, for instance. (sighs) Why don't I get on board here and kind of fall into line and get with the program? Well, my difficulties with this view are... It's hard to derive two separate comings of Christ from the passages that predict his return. All the passages seem to me to have the similar elements. They have this trumpet call. They have uh, a loud proclamation. They have gathering of of Christ's elect over the earth, uh, from all the earth, etc. Historically, it's a quite recent solution, first proposed by John Nelson Darby. I don't remember the exact year. He lived 1800, 1882. But this is the view of modern dispensationalism, Schofield Reference Bible, Talbot Seminary, uh, Dallas Seminary, Moody Bible Institute, and the Left Behind series. Okay, there's another view that I don't agree with. <laughs> That's, it's, it's a view called preterism, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-M. And they, these people say, hey, all the signs have been already fulfilled in the early church. The gospel was preached to all nations in the known world at that time. There were false prophets who opposed the gospel. There was tribulation under the Roman Empire. The man of lawlessness was the emperor Nero, and you can get the letters in his name to add up to 666 if you do it in a certain way. (laughs) Okay? And uh, the Jewish people being saved gradually throughout the history of the church with Paul at the beginning are the way all Israel is being saved. And we have Jewish uh, ministry to Jewish believers uh, throughout the evangelical world in an active ministry uh, today. And uh, Bob, uh, for instance, Winkler in this class who teaches on this is representative of that. And maybe I'm, I'm speaking correctly, aren't I, Bob? Yeah, from a Jewish background. Yeah. And uh, so this is the way all Israel will be saved. That is just part of the church. My problem with this is the verses seem stronger than that. They seem to portray much larger events than what occurred in the first century. Uh, this great amounts of suffering and and the man of lawlessness and and many other things. So what do we do? Here is my own view. I'm going to give it a try. I think it is useful, but um, as I say, I'm not saying you need to agree with me, but bear with me just a minute or two, all right? Um, My view is it's unlikely but possible that the signs have already been fulfilled. Unlikely but possible. So when John asked me earlier in the class, well, wait a minute, doesn't the Great Tribulation have to occur yet? I'll say, yes, I think it does. So I think that Jesus isn't coming back for a while yet. But 
If I heard this trumpet throughout the skies this afternoon, I would say, whoa, the tribulation was going on in China and Indonesia and India and Muslim countries in Africa. It was more Christians dying this year than any other year in the history of the world of persecution. And if you go to those Christians and say, we know there's a greater tribulation coming, they'd say, how could it be greater than what we're going through? See, so it didn't hit us for some reason. But, but then I'd say, okay, Lord, I thought there was a greater tribulation coming, but I was wrong, and I'm sure glad you're back. So I think it's unlikely, but it's possible. Okay, And then um, what that allows me to do, it, it takes seriously the primary purpose for the signs, that we, it should increase our expectation, and that we're not to know the time. And so I think Christ could return at any time, and we must be ready, even though it seems unlikely that he'll return at once, because we can't know when he will return. Have these signs been fulfilled? The preaching of the gospel to all nations? Depends what you mean by nations. I won't go into detail there. Colossians 1, Paul already says it. The gospel has, 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 been, has come to the whole world. That is the whole civilized world at that time. That's been create, pro, uh, the gospel is proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Colossians 1.23. I think there's going to be more preaching of the gospel to unreached peoples yet. But I could be wrong. The Great tribulation. I just talked about that. There have been many periods of intense persecution of the church. But I think a greater one is coming. False Christs and false prophets. Yes, there have been false religions that have led people astray. And they could be called false messiahs and false prophets. But I think a greater false messiah and false prophets are yet coming. Powerful signs in the heaven. This one, I'm, I'm pretty sure this hasn't happened. The sun and moon falling and turning to darkness. Uh, stars falling. I don't think it's symbolic language, but that could happen in the space of two or three or four minutes. Couldn't it, Pammy? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <clears throat> that, so that lets me say, well, that could happen, and when that starts happening, all of a sudden Jesus comes back, so it could yet be this afternoon. The appearance of the man of lawlessness, people have identified him with Nero or another emperor, Domitian, or Hitler or Stalin. All these are proved false, I think there's going to be a yet worse man of lawlessness or sin, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. I think there's, so, and the salvation of Israel, I think that's going to happen yet, but maybe I'm wrong. So, conclusion. Um, I think it's appropriate to say that Christ could now return at any hour of the day or night. I think it's unlikely, because I think more of these things are happening, but I think it's possible. And now someone says to me, but Wayne, if you think it's unlikely, how can you be ready for Christ's return? And I say, same way I put a seatbelt on in the car. I think it's unlikely that I'm going to get in an accident driving to Scottsdale Bible Church from my house on Sunday morning. But did I put a seatbelt on? Yes, because I think it's unlikely, but possible that I'll have an accident. So I prepared for what was unlikely, but possible. Same reason I buy life insurance. I just looked at the bill the other day. It keeps getting more expensive every year. I think it's unlikely that I'll die this year. We've bought airplane tickets for the next few months. But it's possible. So I bought life insurance to be ready. We do that in, in ordinary life, don't we? And so I think, I think that, yet the Lord isn't going to return, but I think he might. And that's where I am. Oh, yeah. 
this position has spiritual benefits. God doesn't intend us to know. He wants us to long for Christ's return. And if we see spectacular signs occurring, we won't be dismayed or lose heart. Let's sing, and then we can take a picture. Let's stand and sing. And uh, JT, do you want to come and get... So we're ending nine minutes early, and I think we can... Daryl's going to give us instructions in a minute. Oh, what I didn't do is Q&A here. Yeah. Okay, Pammy has a quick question, then we're going to do, uh, then we're going to do singing, and, and uh, three weeks from today we'll come back and do more, because I'm going to get on to the tribulation and the millennium, and there'll be a lot of time for more questions. Okay, Pammy. I heard a, a, a teacher teach that because we don't know when the time or hour that Christ will return, Satan certainly doesn't either. Huh? And her view was that these wicked men like Domitian and Nero and yep. Hitler and Stalin and all those were, um, uh, were pictures or foreshadowings of the true Antichrist to come, but that Satan has to have somebody in the wings at all times in order to raise him up (laughs) and empower him to become that. And that kind of made sense to me. Interesting, interesting. Good. Thanks, Pammy. Okay, let's sing. This is a good second coming hymn. And it's... uh, You know that melody?